Hey everyone, Adela here. I just wanted to pop in to let you know that this is a bonus episode featuring an episode from the Inside Podcasting Podcast. So like the PBC podcast, the Inside Podcasting Podcast is very meta. It's the evolution of the Inside Podcasting newsletter, which is a great newsletter from inside.com. Sky Pillsbury is the writer of the newsletter and host of the podcast, which is now in its second season. Side note, Sky is also the subject of a heavyweight episode, so look up number 17 in heavyweight to hear her story. Anyway, the Inside Podcasting podcast interviews some of our favorite podcasters about their craft. This episode is a chat with Nigel Poor and Erlan Woods, the creators and hosts of Ear Hustle. And in case you haven't heard of Ear Hustle, I cannot recommend it enough. Seriously, it is one of my all-time favorite podcasts. It was named a finalist for the first Pulitzer Prize for audio reporting this year and tells stories about daily life in San Quentin prison. I hope you enjoy the episode. The larger goal was once we get it into San Quentin, uh, our larger goal is to get it in all the California prisons. Yep, yep, that was the big um, goal. That yep. was the big goal. That was like to end all. Yep. You know, we get it there, we mm. good, we accomplished, we successful, we did that. Mm. And um, it didn't quite work that way, no, in that order. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Inside Podcasting, the show in which creators discuss their craft. I'm your host, Sky Pillsbury. You just heard the voices of visual artist Nigel Poor and former prison inmate Erlon Woods. They are co-hosts and co-creators of Ear Hustle, which tells stories about daily life inside San Quentin Prison. The show, which came to life after winning a podcast competition, was an immediate hit when it launched in 2015. The show got a ton of press. It won awards. It seemed to be the podcast that everyone I knew was talking about. And then in 2018, something pretty incredible happened. Then California Governor Jerry Brown commuted Erlon's prison sentence. Brown credited Erlon's work on the podcast as a significant factor in his decision. After 21 years, Erlon walked out of San Quentin a free man. Since then, Erlon and Nigel and the rest of the Ear Hustle team have continued to tell stories about life on the inside, but they've also reinvented elements of the show's format and explored new narratives on the outside. I'm going to play you a clip from season four of the show. In it, you'll hear Nigel and Erlon speaking with Curtis, a newly released inmate, about something that's been on his mind ever since he got out of prison. So here's the million dollar question, man. Are you still a virgin? You're killing me. <laughs> Why did she turn away? <laughs> I thought this business was going to be taken care of before I showed up. Yes, I'm still a virgin. Sadly how, to admit. How many days have you been out? Probably close to 70. Okay, so what? I know that guys inside are very preoccupied about how quickly guys are going to have sex when they get out. I am on the side of what is the rush? Well, the rush is that many of us, like myself, have been on the inside for 24 years mm -hmm. without sex. Mm -hmm. So now we come out and we think that we're going to run right into the arms of some beautiful woman. It's just not happening. <laughs> well, maybe it's going to take no, no. like six months. If you want to have so, just sex, you could just have sex. But are you looking for sex or a relationship? So that's Curtis' problem. Tell us about it, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> 
That clip is from a season four episode called I Want the Fairy Tale, which is about dating after prison. It's one of the many fascinating episodes Ear Hustle has reported on from the outside. During the following interview, you'll hear us refer to a few people whose names you might not recognize. First, there's Lieutenant Sam Robinson. He is San Quentin's public information officer, and he has to approve every episode of Ear Hustle. Also, Antoine Williams. Antoine is a former prison inmate, and he is the show's sound designer. He was also a co-creator of the podcast. And last, but definitely not least, when we mention Julie, we are referring to Julie Shapiro, executive producer at Radiotopia and PRX. Ear Hustle is part of the Radiotopia network of podcasts. We drop into conversation as Nigel is explaining how she came to work at San Quentin. I was interested in prisons and what happened inside of them, and I was looking for a reason to actually go in. So it's sort of a program I could work with. And I heard about the Prison University Project, and they were looking for people to teach an art history class. And I'm a photographer. Uh, I teach at a university. I teach about photography and the history of photography. So I thought, okay, this is a perfect way to get into the prison. So I applied to be a volunteer, and they luckily said, sure, come on in. So I started teaching, and I taught there for three semesters, and that's how I ended up meeting a lot of other guys. And you and Erlon knew each other but weren't working together for a couple of years in a place called the Media Lab at San Quentin. Is that right? I mean, it took a couple of years for us to get to know each other and then decide to do the podcast. So we were in the same Media Lab working on the same project, which was a radio project. And that was for a couple of years, I think, from 2013 to 15. Yes. Yes. So can I ask about that first radio program that was with a local station here? I'm in San Francisco mm-hmm. right now uh, with KALW. And can you talk just a little bit about what that program was like and whether was that your first foray for both of you into audio? It was for me. That's yeah, for sure. It definitely uh, was for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't know anything about the audio world. I came in as a photographer. I knew about storytelling. Um, and I tried to use those skills to figure out how to translate that into audio. But yeah, there was such a steep learning curve. I mean, learning how to record, learning how to edit, what makes a good story, working collaboratively. There were so many challenges. I think when we started, we were using GarageBand. I mean, we didn't even know that GarageBand wasn't a good thing to use. Oh, yeah, it was, it was the shit then. <laughs> <laughs> so were you getting that education from producers or editors at KALW, or are you just sort of like winging it on your own? It was a combination. We started on our own, and then KLW heard about what we were doing, and they started sending people in to help train us, which was great. Layla Day, Julie Kane. The queen of radio. Queen of radio, Holly Kernan. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, so we were really lucky, and it was all women. Now that I think about it, huh. was, all these great audio women came in Definitely. and helped train us. So that helped a lot. How did you then make the jump to maybe we should be doing a podcast Instead, because you you moved from KALW to this other effort, am I right? Oh yes. Yeah, and and I think a, a lot of the, I mean, the KALW was still going on, but and still is, uh, and it still is going on. But I think it was more of Nigel um, having a, this bright idea about, hey, we should do longer form storytelling like a podcast. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's what really kicked off the ideal of that and wanting to put it on the closed-circuit TV channel in San Quentin 
for not only the general population, but for also for death row. Yeah, yeah. It was great working with KOW, but after a while I found that I wanted to start telling different kinds of stories. And as Erlon said, longer form storytelling, using more sound design. I mean, the show that we worked on with KOW was for Cross Currents, and it already had a set format. And so... I just kind of wanted to break off and try something different. And I had gotten to know Erlon really well over this time and also Antoine Williams. And so Erlon and I just started plotting about what we could do. I suggested we do a podcast. And he didn't know what a podcast was. Didn't know what it was. <laughs> we started started introducing him to what a podcast was. We hatched our idea on October 5th. Something. It was, like, it, was in, it was in 2015. 2015, because uh, not so long ago, Erlon found the actual proposal that I put together to right. share with him. And on it, it, we laid out the basic, the bones of what Ear Hustle was going to become. And as he said, the idea was to play it on the closed circuit station inside the prison. That, that, was, that was our small term goal. Mm-hmm. When Nigel suggested this to you, Erlon, what ran through your head at that time? Well, I mean, what ran through my head was like, all right. Let's do it. <laughs> that I mean, is so Erlon. It, it wasn't like, you know, we didn't, have to, we didn't have to talk about it that much. It was like, all right, let's do it. You know, it was something new, something to get involved in. And prison information officer, Lieutenant Robinson, granted Nigel to bring in some podcasts. Mm-hmm. So that's where I started listening to it, which I, I always say is Snap Judgment. Yep, Snap Judgment. Snap Judgment. And I was listening to how how smooth Glenn was, and I was like, Ah, oh, this shit easy. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to back up and say one thing about Erlon. I've never heard Erlon say no to anything. Like, he is always up for something. So have you, have you ever said no about anything that we wanted to do? It's always um, like, hell yeah, let's just try it. Not when it comes to, like, that raw meat type Oh, shit. yeah, yeah, no, he won't uh, eat, he won't won't eat that No, shit. he won't eat medium like, rare nope. steak. <laughs> That's the only thing I've heard him say no to. But otherwise, like, creative stuff, like... Working hard, getting a podcast together, learning how to do this, taking a trip to go interview somebody. It's always, let's do it. I mean, our attitude is basically like, let's do it. Let's go. Let's go. And we do. You have that in common, it sounds like. That must be part of what makes your relationship work so well. It's really clear that you have a, you've developed a great rapport. Yes. Trying my best. <laughs> Without we- getting too inundated. <laughs> <laughs> So you were going to make a podcast, and I I just want to be clear that initially the idea, as I understand it, was to make a podcast just for the inmates to hear. It was for San Quentin, and the larger goal was, okay, once we get it into San Quentin, uh, our larger goal is to get it in all the California prisons. Yep. That was the big goal. That was like to end all. Yep. You know, we get it there, we good, we accomplished, we successful, we did that. And um, it didn't quite work that way no, in that order. <laughs> no. There was there's twists and turns and plots and all kind of stuff. And, and I think like right when we were creating the show is when Nigel came in with the Radiotopia's PodQuest submission, yep. the application for the next new podcast. Yep. Nigel, how did you come across that? Brochure? Somebody emailed me about it. Like it was a fluke thing. I. Somebody knew I was doing the radio project, and they emailed me a promo, like, you know, whatever the call-out was for it. And then I was like, oh, man, we should apply for this. This is perfect. And so I showed it to Lieutenant Robinson, and he gave us permission to submit for it. And I think the whole thing was about a six-month process. It it took a minute. It took a minute. Yeah. I definitely want to ask some questions about Lieutenant Sam Robinson, but maybe I'll I'll leave those until the end. But 
after you came across the PRX Radiotopia podcast mm-hmm. competition, which was called PodQuest, Quest, yes. and you decided to apply, and Sam Robinson approved the idea, and I know that we find out later that he approved it because he did not think he would win. Exactly, exactly. Right. You had to actually then make a podcast, right? I mean, how did you how did you do that? How did you figure that out? I would say this. And to to Sam, Sam, Sam had to go through some stuff to get it approved too. Yes. He had to go through his chain of command, which is uh, oh, yeah. California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation is their staff there. He had to go through them. So he had to go through higher ups and they all approved and signed off. I think they probably all approved and they probably all thought this is never going to happen. Yeah, we ain't going to win. They ain't going to win. We ain't, you know. <laughs> the process <laughs> throw was. Them, throw them something. Yeah. Throw yeah. them something. Yep. Keep them, keep them quiet. <laughs> so, so it didn't feel like it was hard to get approval at that stage? It was sort of like boom, boom, boom? It probably was, but Sam is not one to let on about what's difficult. Yeah, what he's going through. No, nah, he, he'd just be like, oh, it's good, it's, it's good, good, it's good. He is, I imagine the difficulties he encounters are intense, and he always makes things look effortless. He's a great politician. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Sam. I have to say, from the listener perspective, he seems like just a great guy. He is a great guy. He's awesome. He's, he's a great dude. He said some things near um, after an episode from season four where someone gets married, someone mm-hmm. who's left prison and he said some really personal things at the end and I just thought wow this guy he's not just an administrator he feels things and he's connected to this community I was really impressed by that and you know how I know he's a good guy is because the men inside respect him the people that work for the prison respect him and the outside people that come in and either volunteer or run programs in there respect him you can't get a better recommendation than that no definitely well shout out to Sam Robinson So so you're going through the process. There were over 1,500 team submissions from 57 countries or something. 53 different countries. Okay. So that's insane. Yes. And you get to be a top 10 finalist and then a top four finalist. Were there steps or maybe hoops that you had to jump over at each of those different steps? Like, what were you having to do to make it to the next level? It was crazy. So the first yeah. thing was a long application. Definitely. Long, uh, long, long application. Yeah. And luckily, I do a lot of grant proposals, so I kind of had that covered. But yes. but it was still new questions. I mean, it was about it was about the audio world, not about the visual art world. Do you um, remember any of the questions in particular that were interesting oh, or yeah, challenging? Yeah, we had to have like an elevator pitch. We had to talk about who our audience was going to be. We had to talk about how we were going to actually put the story together, what right. were the different elements. And so clearly they wanted people who had thought all of this through. I mean, we didn't just say, oh, we want to do a podcast about life inside prison. I think there were probably about 10 questions. It was a lot of them. It was a lot of stuff. And we had thought about all of it. Like we had thought about who would listen to the show. We had thought about an elevator pitch. We had thought about the components of put it together. Like we knew Erlon and I were going to host it. We wanted this inside-outside thing. We yeah. we wanted first-person narratives. We wanted sound design. And they were they was very interested, but I think at the end of the day, they didn't think it was going to work. And yeah, so they had to do phone <laughs> interviews. Well, they wanted to do Skype interviews with everyone, which was was not going to happen. And so to set up uh, the phone interview. We tr- we had to go up to the chapel to meet Lieutenant Robinson. There was a friggin' alarm. I was so one. nervous. So Erlon and Antoine had to sit on the ground. Then we finally got in there. And so Sam took out his cell phone. None of us could touch it. And he put it on a folding chair. And then the four of us sat around it and answered. Qu- we talked to Julie. And yes. I can't remember who else for it about an hour. It was mainly Julie, but it was their team. Yeah, their yeah. team for about an hour. 
so this is all because you're working out of a prison. There are all these different rules and regulations that you have to abide by. Okay, so you're not allowed to make a phone call to the outside world. Is that right? No, so- no, no. You can make a phone call to the outside world, but the way that this had to happen where we all had to be involved in the conversation. So the only way that that was feasible was by Lieutenant Sam Robinson uh, utilizing his personal phone, his, his state phone. His state phone. And like, Erlen, you couldn't get on the phone for an hour. Right, I, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, my, our phone calls is only 15 minutes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you can't do multiple. You can't have a call inside. Like, if Erlon got on the phone, he can't patch in a bunch of other people. So, yeah, the only way to do it was through a state phone. Yeah, and again, without Sam, like, we would have been out in the first round if we couldn't get on the phone. Yeah, definitely. We would have been out. And we had a good phone. It was, I knew it was a good phone call. Like, we left just (laughs) cheering. How did you know? How did you know? Because we could answer every question. We were having fun. People were laughing. People were interested. We had questions for them. It was like this great conversation between people who already were interested in each other. It's just like the vibe was there, and I just knew we nailed it. I think, I think the, you know, one of the most interesting things was about the top ten. What's that? Is that also in the top ten was the stoop. Oh, yeah, were, people we knew. People we knew that were actually our producers that yeah. actually taught us the game. They were there, too, so that was interesting. Oh, the stoop from KALW. Yeah, Layla Day, Hannah yep. Baba, Jimmy Kane. Kane. They were, we didn't they know our mentors. Yeah. And you know, I wanna um I wanna say one thing about how I knew we did well was because our team was tight. Like Antoine, Erlon and I you could already tell at that point that we gelled really well and that we supported each other and we knew what we wanted to say. Just briefly, since we haven't yet, can you just explain who Antoine is and what role he's played on the show? Like I say, when Nigel came with the idea and we talked about it for a while. We had to think about, like, what would be good, who would be this, who would be that. And we we thought about a sound designer, and the one person that we did think about was Antoine Williams. He's a, he's a great, you know, musician. He does his thing. And, and he also contributed because we wanted to, you know, like, each episode has to have an illustration with it or some type of picture or whatever. And we came with the idea of him drawing them because he's a great artist, you know. And so he's contributed in that way as well. Yeah, I mean, he really has helped make the sound of Ear Hustle um, the, the way it sounds. He's super creative. I loved the bonus episode. So for anyone yeah. who hasn't listened to Ear Hustle yet, well, I just love season four so much. But at the end, you had a bonus episode because he's actually released from prison and it's really heartfelt. It brought tears to my eyes. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Antoine William, the journeous. Yeah, that I think journeous. that's the name of the episode. That brought yeah. tears to my eyes, too. Yeah. He said, yeah, yeah. yeah no, he was, was a... so genuine and heartfelt. Yeah. That was a cool episode to do. And then you get to top four finalists? Is there so you did a phone call at top ten? What's happening when you get to top four? Then it was oh shit. Yeah. Can we say the F word? Yeah, it was <laughs> It was oh, more than oh shit. Yes. It was like <laughs> It was like fuck. Now we gotta figure out how to make a podcast. Yeah. We had to make we had I think four <laughs> three. months, three months we, to make three podcasts. They make three podcasts. Three episodes. And Oh wow. Yeah. But you know what? I it was oh shit. But also, like maybe naivete is helpful. We yeah. just we were just going to do it. Like we had ideas and we were just going to do it. I don't think we pulled our hair out. It was hard work, no doubt. But we really just dove in. Definitely. Yeah. How did you decide what to focus on? I know your the pilot was Sellys, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Sellys wasn't so, but, even in our. It wasn't even in our pilot episodes, actually. No, it wasn't. So, it was our first episode, oh, but it wasn't okay. in our pilot episode. Yeah, our pilot episodes. We wanted to, well, 
I mean, my idea, and, and I'm pretty sure Erlon agreed, was we wanted to do stories about everyday life, like small things that happen in prison. Not, I mean, a lot of times we absolutely touch on bigger issues, but the idea is to look at the everyday details of life and how those stand in for something bigger. Okay, so you had three months, you you rock your three episodes, and you you win yes. the competition. It was the shoe, <laughs> this guy of loyalty, and looking out. Yeah, and and three super I, different no, no, episodes. No, three super different episodes, but when we were waiting to get the response or or to find out who won, it was a trip. You could not get Nigel to stop trying to figure a way <laughs> out how to get to the car so she can look at her. Um, My phone. her email in yeah. her phone to see if we won or we lost or whatever the case may be. I'm talking about like every chance she got, she was like, uh, I, think I, I think I left something in the car. Yeah, I I, and every time I tried to, Erlon was like, I like, know what you're doing. And uh, let it go. <laughs> because you can't get email in the prison. Oh, no, no phone, no email. Can't take her phone no. in. And then, you know, I was, oh my gosh. That time I was spending eight to 10 hours a day in there. Definitely a day. Yeah. Every day. She was dedicated. She was. She was definitely a dedicated person. What did that feel like when you won? Well, uh, I think for me it was like, uh, you know we knew we was going to win this shit, right? <laughs> yeah, Earl, I was confident. <laughs> I went crazy when I found out because I got the call at home. I think I'd worked, in, I'd worked inside all day and I got home around 8 o'clock and Julie Shapiro called me. Did she did she drag it out? She, no, so she said, "Hi, Nigel. This is Julie." And my husband was upstairs, and he came running down the stairs, all excited because he could hear me. And her voice was really low key. And I thought she was calling to tell us we didn't win. And I looked up at my husband Rick, and I was like, shook my head, like we didn't get it. And I was so like, "Oh man, how am I going to tell the guys?" And then she said, "I'm calling to tell you that you guys won." Uh, and then I just like yelped uh, and started crying. Indeed, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a good run. Yeah, it's definitely. That was like when she came in and delivered the news to us. I think she tried her best to come in and, you know, but she floated in, so it didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, in some ways, have not stopped smiling since we won. Definitely. <laughs> I'm going to jump ahead yeah. here now. The show has been a massive hit. It was instantly a hit with a million and a half downloads, maybe that first month, month? or something yes. like that. It was crazy. Yeah, incredible. Then a very big thing happened towards the end. Uh, well, it was about a year and a half ago. So it was, I don't, were you at the end of season three? I sort of forget the chronology of that. Yes, yes, end of season three. And so your sentence was commuted by Jerry Brown. And you were released from prison. Incredible story. What did walking out of the prison feel like for you, Erlon, that day? Hmm. The only the only description I always give it is like the little kids doing the little dance. What is the name the of that? The floss thing. The floss dance or the cabbage patch or the running man or whatever <laughs> dance excites you. That's what walking out of prison was like. Yeah, I loved a story that um, I heard you say about how you would take pictures of yourself eating ice cream on the beach and, yes. and send them to <laughs> Nigel. Yes. And I just thought that is such the perfect example of someone who is really present in their life as it is now. And I just I love that idea. So while it was obviously amazing and euphoric, did either of you have any concerns about like, OK, like, OK, this is a totally new format we're going to mm -hmm. be working with, like. How do you sort of, like, figure that out? Like, this is now going to be different. Erlon, mm. uh, you got it. were instantly hired, I believe, yep. by Radiotopia as a full-time producer. And 
seems like there was never any question that that you would continue working with the team. But but was there any maybe anxiety isn't the right word, but unease about like, okay, how do we this is a whole new show in a way that we're going to be figuring out a new rhythm. This is always hard for me to talk about because, of course, I wanted Erlon to get out. But mm-hmm. it, I had a ton of anxiety about it. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, I knew he was going to keep working with us, but, you know, he'd been in prison for 20, 22 years. 21? 20, I mean, 21. 21. Yeah. So it's like, well, when he gets out, this might not be what he wants to do. Like, he's got a lot of life to catch up on. I also thought, like, how is this going to work inside without him? Um, I was really mourning the working relationship we had inside the prison. It was going to change a lot. I knew it was going to change a lot when he was gone. I mean, like, he was my rock inside. And Mm. I looked forward every day to getting in there to work with him. So I knew that was going to change. I also had a creative concern was that the stories we do inside are so interesting. It's a closed world that most people can't get into. And we had a way to tell stories that other people couldn't tell. On the outside, anybody can do a reentry story. And I wondered if it was going to be as interesting and as creatively challenging to do stories on the outside. You know, I was wondering, how are we going to make inside and outside stories work together? I mean, I knew we would figure it out. But for me, the biggest thing was like mourning the loss of going in there and seeing Erlon. But I really want to make it clear, like, that didn't stop me from wanting every fiber in my bone for him to get or every fiber in my body for him to get out of prison. So that's why I feel weird saying it. But the honest truth was I was really nervous about what it was going to be like. And there's definitely been challenges. But we like we always say to each other, we're going to figure it out. Like whatever happens, we are going to figure it out. And it was just another thing to figure out. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what those challenges were and how how do you work them out? When you guys have been working together for a long time, mm-hmm. there have to have been situations where it's like you know, you're facing new challenges together. What do you do? I would say, you know, when when it was it was looking good for me to disappear or just in case it happened, we had already had a system in place. We started interviewing guys. We sent out like job applications, I guess you could say, with descriptions of what we were looking in, looking to hire guys for. To replace Erlon. To replace me, to get in that spot and continue the podcast. So so we put an what, application out to everybody? Yeah, we put out to the prison a job, a a job announcement. A job and... announcement. And we had a gang of people that sent their stuff back in and we went through them and we picked like maybe the top six or something and started doing interviews with them. And basically we did them just like podcasts did us. us. Yeah, that's true. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and that's how we were able to find the two guys that, that we end up bringing on, which yeah. was Rasan mm-hmm. New York Thomas yep. and John Yaya Johnson. Yeah. And so they report from the inside and you report from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the great things now that Erlon's out is like we can travel together to do interviews. Definitely. I mean, beyond having a, you know, a friendship where we can do things, but we travel together. We travel together to give lectures. We were in Italy last year. We've been to New York, Chicago, Milwaukee. So we get to do the things that, in quotes, normal colleagues do now. Correct. I, I mean, I will say the other thing about Erlon is that, you know, we created this together. So it's our baby and now with bringing new people on, it's a different kind of relationship. Like my relationship with Erlon and his relationship with me is always going to be different than it is with other people that are on the podcast. I mean, Antoine is in that too because he was part of it. But like we created it. It's our blood and tears. It's a lot. So my it's tears, lot. I've never it's seen. No, I don't think it's Erlon doesn't cry. But, you know, I've 
I cried the other day, so. You did? Yeah, my father passed. Oh, well, yeah. That yeah. was different, huh? Yeah, that's different. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that you cried. That's a, that's a normal reaction. That's a normal reaction. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like when you create something with somebody, you have a really intense bond with them. And so. Yes, it's almost like being married, probably. Yeah, it's a professional marriage, basically. Yeah, definitely. No plans to stop, it sounds like to me. Well, I mean, um, we have a long journey. I mean, there's too many people incarcerated uh-huh. with too many different stories, you know, and as long as people enjoy what we bring, we're going to definitely continue to bring it. Yeah, and we have stuff we haven't accomplished yet. Yeah. Like, I, I think we we want to keep obviously growing and challenging ourselves and changing, but we've got so much stuff we haven't done yet. Yes, we haven't. We haven't, you know, went inside the women's prison nope. yet. We have. It's a lot we haven't done, and yeah. it's a lot that we that's on our plate to do. I want to talk about this last season, mm-hmm. season four, which was my favorite season you've done so far. Oh, nice. I, I really felt emotionally connected to every episode. You focused on some really heavy stuff. Yes. Addiction. You know, there were stories about death row, a night of violent crime. Yep. That's the finale, which is just oh, incredible. Can you talk about how you made your decisions to tackle these kinds of stories this season? So I think, you know, before every season, while we're still in the prior season, I think it's when we're in the prior season or we just coming we're out just that season, up, yeah. we're just wrapping up. We all have these production meetings with everybody that's involved. And a lot of times uh, we just sit that, sit back and just throw out ideas on the um, whiteboard. Mm-hmm. And we'll just start eliminating ones that, you know, don't work or whatever the case may be. And then we'll look up there and we'll have maybe 10 to 13 that may work. And then we just go from there. Yeah. And then with season four, one thing I've been thinking is I wanted to have more complicated characters. And I'm saying characters. I know they're individuals, they're human beings. But for the sake of what we're talking about, we call them characters in our story. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to have people that weren't that everyone wasn't going to be like, oh, I love that guy. I love that person. I wanted it to be more complex and tell stories that made people think differently about issues that they may have a knee-jerk reaction to. That's one of my challenges for the coming seasons, too, is to have stories that are maybe a little bit harder to process. Right. But still mm-hmm. vary in emotion. Like mm-hmm. almost all of our episodes from now, you know, from season four on include humor, things that are really hard to hear, grief sadness, exaltation, all of those things. So there's never one emotional tone to a story. And I that to me is really, the, a love, I love that challenge. I love that about the show. So speaking of which, in one episode, you, you spoke with a man on death row. And yes. during the episode, you mentioned that it took six visits, I think, to oh convince him to speak. No, he, he, he was no longer on death row. He wasn't on death row, but, but, but getting him to speak. Right. Oh, yeah. I think- yes. Can you walk us through what it was like to make that episode and what it was like to persuade him to be part of it? So are, were you already out when we started? I was out. He, or, no, I, was- I mean, when I, when, when I was in... He wasn't coming down to the studio. Right, so you, but you were so part we was, of the yeah. convincing. Yeah, yeah. but, but he, he wasn't coming down. No, so we would go, so New York and, and Erlon and some other guys would go talk to him, and he was always, no, no, he didn't want to do it. And we just kept gently going back, and then finally I was like, I'm going to talk to this guy. So New York, and Erlon was, I think, out by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, New York took me over to where he worked, and I just asked if I could speak to him, and he was super standoffish. He didn't want to look at me. It was really hard for him to shake my hand. And I just mm. kept saying, you know, can we just do this? Can we just try? And I was just very gentle. And then 
I think the second time we went back and I tried to talk to him again, I saw him crack a little bit of a smile. And he said something about like, man, you don't give up. And he laughed. I was like, okay, we're going to be able to reel him in. And so we just kept having those conversations. Yeah, we're getting somewhere. We just had those conversations. Then he finally agreed. He would come down to the studio and we did a, a short interview. And then he, I think he liked it. I mean, he realized that we were there to really listen, like compassionately listen to his story and be present with him. And he really opened up over the course of the interviews we did. And, you know, now he comes down and he sometimes has lunch with us. And like that, that's a huge thing. Like, oh. Yeah, it's really, it's really I wonderful. Love that. Mm-hmm. You also did something so wonderful that I love, which is that you featured a lot of women's voices or more than you yeah. had before. And I just loved hearing their voices and their stories. And I have to think that that was an intentional move. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, that, that's that's the one thing that we've been like lacking and we've always tried to implemented in some way somehow and that's what we're currently actually doing yeah is getting out and trying to get the women involved more and you know there's there was a real i mean there was a a a reason that it was hard well there's several reasons but one reason that was really hard to do when erlon was inside was that he couldn't there was no it was gonna be almost impossible for him to talk to women in prison which meant that i would be doing it on my own and there was no way i wanted to do that on my own. Do you know what I mean? Like it would change mm-hmm. the feeling of the podcast if it was me going by myself into a woman's prison or even talking to women on the mm-hmm. outside. So once Erlon got out, that's when we knew we could start bringing more women's voices into the show that. in a meaningful way, you know? Right. How do you decide who does the interviews and how do you sort of divide up that work together? Mm. I think it's whoever is available. <laughs> Sometimes it's that because I still spend a lot of time inside San Quentin. Yeah. Um, I, I, my preference is for us to do the interviews together because we bring different skills to it, but sometimes I'm just inside and I can't do it. And I mean, it's not like Erlang can't do it on his own. I can't do it on my own. I just enjoy it more when we do it together. It's it's always interesting because, you know, you can always count on Nigel to ask those (laughs) questions that I would never muster up. The courage to act, or you know. yeah, and I know like Erlan's going to be the solid rock there, and just like with the narration that we have together when we when we do an episode, it's very natural. Even though it's scripted, a lot of it's very natural. We complement each other, so we complement each other in an interview. We complement each other with the writing, and we complement each other when we're recording the the narration. You for the do show. sound so amicable all the time. Yeah. I mean, I have to ask: Do you ever get into like yelling fights oh, God, with no. each other? <laughs> We've had disagreements. Well, you're going to definitely have a disagreement here, but I think life is too, life is too short to have these miscommunications over the minutia. The minutia. I mean, (laughs) we've, we've had, we've certainly had our differences and stuff, but I mean, I've had differences in other parts of the show, but with Erlon, I don't know, we, we have an unusually. I'm not a confrontational type of dude. No, but you'll stand all. your ground. I'm going to definitely stand my ground, but yeah. it, it'll be in a way where, you know, we all understand it. It's, it's, this is my point of view. And... Yeah. He's very reasonable, and I'm a pretty reasonable person, too. I, I don't particularly enjoy conflict, mm-hmm. but we can talk about hard things with each other. It's not like we haven't had to talk about difficult things, for sure. I mean, if something's up, we're just going to talk about it. Let's talk about the unique challenges of making a podcast in and, and also just about prison 
we mentioned earlier that Sam Robinson, he has to approve every episode. Is he involved in your editorial process in the beginning of the season so that like you don't go down a path and then he's like, oh, no, 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 we can't do that? No. No. He, he has he's no creative control, no editorial. Only thing his job is is to flag anything that's injurious to the state <laughs> or to someone I ain't gonna say the state to someone that's in the prison or to someone that's outside. Yeah, that's and it. His his is public safety. Public that's safety. It. I mean, mm. I will say, like for example, we want to try to do a story on talking to guys on death row. Like I will run that by him because there's going to be permissions and things that are challenging. But yeah, for the most part, no. no. He, yeah, he 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 steps out the way. He like you know that's 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 y'all lane. You know. Yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's, He's just there as technically the referee to blow his whistle every now and again, you know, when yeah. something is. And I, I give you a good example. The only thing I can ever recall Lieutenant Robinson having a say on was when we were doing the shoe episode long time ago. And one of the guys in the episode said four people died as a result of the hunger strike. And he was like, well, if you put that in there, we're going to have to investigate and see if four people really died. Because of the hunger mm-hmm. strike. Yeah. And that wasn't that important to us. Like, you know what? Yeah, no, nah, yeah. we don't need that in there. Yeah. Because of, you know, it was going to take a year for that shit. We already know if you go to investigate something, it's going to be a year later when we find out. Yeah, right. exactly. And we're not investigative reporters. Not, we're not, not And we're not journalists either. So um, we have a different concern. But I'm trying to think of he... I think one time I, and I, I don't remember what it was, but I think one time I wanted to ask him about something, if we should do it this way or that way. And he's like... I, Creative choices are, are up to you guys. That's not what I listen for. So he didn't, you know, he doesn't want, he's not involved in those kinds of choices. It is really about the safety and security of the institution. And then we use the correct language for stuff. Like, for example, when we did the shoe, I kept calling it solitary. Right. And he's like, that is, it's not called solitary. In California, in it's California. not solitary. It's security housing unit. So he'll pick up on stuff like that. Yeah. Are there any other uh, restrictions or challenges that you have to deal with in prison? I know, for example, because you can't, email the outside world like how involved is radiotopia like don't they need to see you know your work before it goes out like how does that yeah it's hard i would think radiotopia is just our district our uh network we do have a, a process for that and and that process would be mainly through our executive producer julie shapiro yeah. and that to just be script related just make sure that you know we keep it tight you know we're dealing with professionals professionals yeah i mean audio <laughs> cannot come out of the prison until Sam's okay to it. Right, right. So there's just Everything a lot is, of phone conversations. Yes, there's definitely a lot of phone conversations, a lot of different scripts, a lot of, I think we probably go through about 30 scripts yeah, in it's, one it's script. Crazy. And one script is like 30 different revisions of that script, so. Wow. Yeah, and now wow. we have um, a new editor who's working with us, Bruce Wallace. Yes. And so he works outside with Erlon and he also comes inside so he can, you know, he can hear things when he's inside. So it's everything takes us way longer than it yes. would take for, I'm, I'm assuming. Just a, a regular yeah. episode in which we can't even, you know, because it's, it's, we got a whole different process we have to go through. Yeah. So you are on the brink of launching season five. Yes. Um, in, yes. Yes. Definitely. By the time people hear this, it will already be in full swing. But can you tell us a little bit about what's coming or maybe share little hints of the stories that you're most excited to share with your audience? Um, we, we have some interesting ones dealing with um, how women be so involved in their relationships. Oh, I, I really want to hear how he's going to explain I, this I'm, one. I'm, I'm in, they'd be so involved in, you know, being loved and being in a committed relationship to where time 
is not relative. <laughs> so he's talking about, yeah, why do women commit to guys who have life sentences and what happens when they come out Right. when they never thought they would actually Get be together? Out. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's some interesting some interesting stories that yeah. we're bringing in a lot of outside women for. Yeah. So one of the stories we're working on that I've been wanting to do forever, and it's going to be, it's such a hard story, is about sex offenders. And kind of investigating why is there a hierarchy in crime and what happens when you go to prison when you're serving that kind of sentence. It's been a really difficult story to do because obviously it's emotional for everybody involved. And it was really hard to get people to talk to us about it because they had to feel safe doing it and trust us that we wouldn't, you know, out who they were. Um, and, you know, and it's hard for, for everyone editing it and involved in it because we all have very strong reactions to that crime. I've heard that you make the studio in the media center feel sort of like a safe place. Yes. H- how, do you, how do you do that? Ah, uh, we just shut the doors and say, this is a safe place. Talk. <laughs> so I'm going to add a little bit to that. This is a typical Erlon Nigel communication um, that we definitely do that. But it's also about looking at people in the eye, you know, listening with your body, being a compassionate listener, um, picking up on the cues of what they are trying to say, but might not be able to get out. So it's just this, it's an intuitive process being very gentle mm-hmm. and knowing when you can push somebody to get what has to come out in the story. So we can't let people skate on stuff. We have to try to get to the bottom of the story. And with something like sex offenders or I mean, there's a lot of stories where it's you've got to ask really hard questions. So if the person you're talking to doesn't feel that there's a trust there, it's not going to work. Yeah, and I think we just we just try our best to make people feel comfortable. And and, and people, I think now um, everybody know what we after. You know, mm-hmm. not we're not trying to cross nobody up. We're not trying to I got you questions. We're not trying to do none of that shit. We're just trying to just have individuals tell us their story. Yep. Thank you Great to so talk much to you. for being here. Definitely. It, it meant so much to me. Yeah, I look forward to seeing really you again. Appreciate it. Good talking to you again. I can see your faces. I hear your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Same here, Erlon. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to that episode. And thanks to Erlon and Nigel for making time to speak with me. I checked in with the team on how reporting for the series has been going since COVID-19 hit this part of the world. Here's what they had to say. Quote, like a lot of podcasts today, the show goes on. A couple of details. Erlon and Nigel are tracking from their closets. And for the custom artwork crafted for each episode, Erlon drives from his home to artist Antoine Williams' home to pick up the illustration, then to Nigel's house to drop it off, as Nigel has a quality scanner. We call it email. For the Catch a Kite male episode we make each season, which traditionally features guys in San Quentin answering listeners' questions, this season's episode will feature formerly incarcerated people answering questions. Our outside team is really missing our colleagues on the inside. We're looking forward to being able to collaborate as a full team again. End quote. I also want to congratulate the Ear Hustle team as their show was named as a finalist for the first Pulitzer Prize for audio reporting. How amazing is that? Next week, I'll drop a post-show mini episode in which a special guest will talk with me about what it was like to speak with Erlon and Nigel. I'm really having fun making these mini episodes and I hope you'll tune in. Our next full-length episode drops in two weeks. In it, I'll interview James Kim. 
Last year, James created Moonface, a fiction podcast born out of his experience as the son of Korean immigrants. The show, which I discovered after coming across an intriguing social media post, was named one of Time Magazine's 10 Best Podcasts of 2019. Join me in two weeks to find out what prompted James to make such a personal show. If you enjoyed this episode, please do all the things podcasters ask you to do. Review it on Apple or Podchaser, tell a friend about it, or post about it on social media. Inside Podcasting is produced and hosted by me, Sky Pillsbury. My heroic co-producer is Evo Terra from Simpler Media Productions. Many thanks to David Catrone, who helped arrange this interview. David, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, and thanks for always being so helpful. I'm also grateful to Charles Quilly, our faithful sound engineer, and our talented researcher, Rachel Loden. Special thanks to Jason Calacanis for greenlighting this project, my family, who has been unwaveringly supportive, and last but not least, thanks always to you for listening. See you next week. Well, I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. You can find the Inside Podcasting podcast wherever you listen, and you can subscribe to the newsletter at inside.com slash podcasting and follow Sky on Twitter at Sky Pillsbury. That's Sky with an E at the end. Happy listening.